You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Time for Manning for the end zone. Touchdown Giants! Evan Ingram! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. What's going on, Grump? Have you cooled down yet from our day at training camp and the post 100 degree temperature or whatever it was yeah i'm um i think i'm a little bit sunburned actually on my face i think i'm a lot of it sunburned actually <laughs> so uh cranky fan and i attended training camp practice today which is monday as of this recording uh yesterday if you're listening to this tomorrow um and it was hot as hell it was very hot i, I don't know how these guys i mean we were kind of in a a little bit of a shaded um, bleacher setup, and you got there under the shade, and we were dying. And these guys were in a full pad workout, you know, going through all the, um, you know, the drills and the uh, the eleven on elevens and everything. And I can only think about what it was like in the seventies and the sixties, where they used to do three days, you know, full pads, full workouts. I mean, now it's such a watered down exercise training camp. But I don't know how these guys survived back then. No, me either. Um. I saw that it was the hottest day of training camp so far, um, and it seems like Pat Shermer is not letting up. We we were discussing this at practice today. Was uh, we had went two years ago when Ben McAdoo was the head coach, and he was very big on um, maintaining. I, I guess not pushing them too hard to the point of soft tissue injuries. I think is what he was trying to avoid, and. I think when we went, it was a full padded practice, but it was like one of the few. A lot of them were in shells or just, you know, just shorts or, you know, whatever. Right, right. Um, it was it was a hot day as well when, when we were there a couple of years ago. This seemed like it was worse. Um, but my initial take of this was I seem to recall – now, granted, we don't go to every practice. We are – you know, we just play media people on the podcast, but not in real life. We are not, obviously. Um, so we don't get to go to every practice every year. But it just seemed to me like the practice we went to two years ago had a little more intensity, a little more, you know, kick in the step. Like they went from one drill to another. Things were moving along. Now, a grand, who knows? I mean, we kind of know what Ben McAdoo ultimately was like and the way he did you know, push the players, as you know, Grump just mentioned. But uh, it definitely seemed like there might have been like a half a step slower than I kind of ex- expected to see. I'd be curious to see any comments from um, the coaches or anything on how the, they thought the practice went today. I'm not trying to say they lollygagged to the next thing, but I mean, there was you know a little bit of standing around. I guess it's, yeah, you know, as, and- as one guy does things, the other five are standing there waiting for their turn. Whereas I didn't really remember that in the McAdoo era. It was very like it was just everybody was moving, you know. Yeah, like you do, you jump into something, a quick drill, horn would go off, and then everybody would scramble and get into something. It just seemed like there was like a little more intensity. And again, you know, to be fair, there is a game Thursday, and yeah. you know, which kind of throws off your normal routine. Um, and again, with the heat and everything, maybe they were trying to maybe do it at three-quarter speed or something. I know that Shermer had talked about maximizing every minute of practice of every session because you only have so many sessions now with the CBA. And I just kind of, you know, thinking about that comment, thinking, is this the most 
efficient way to run practice. Again, I'm not a coach, just kind of what I saw. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that too. But then again, as we're saying this, we're, we're talking about how efficient McAdoo seemed to run a practice. Didn't really seem to make any difference. You right. Know, as a you know, as a coach, I guess there's more to it than just an efficient practice. But right, right. You know. What were your uh, What were some of your just initial thoughts of what you saw? I mean, granted, kind of the way it's laid out. If you've ever been there before, there's like the two fields are in an L pattern, and there's two sets of bleachers along one, and then there's one set along the other. So sometimes the action's right in front of you, and other times it could be a couple hundred yards away from where you are. So. We got to see some pretty good things, you know, up close for some stuff. Especially, I think, some of the 11-11s we got to see. So what, what did you think from what we saw? Well, I mean, I, I tried to keep my eyes in a million different places at once. It's not like there's a whole bunch of reps for me to really watch everything I'd really like to. Um, I mean, just a couple notes. One of the things we watched with Beckham is, um, you know, he's a, a guy who makes his career running the Christmas routes in the NFL. And, uh, you know, coming off of ankle surgery, we – we're both trying to look at him to see if there was any sort of evidence that he had even had surgery, and it really doesn't look like it. Um, he really runs just the same way as I remember. You know, is it possible that he runs even better? Sure. I mean, if you're ever rehabbing from something, you might, you know, push yourself even further than you. He's stronger. Before. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, it definitely seemed like they. Well, he wasn't favoring, you know, one leg or the other or one ankle or the other. He wasn't going half speed at the drills he was doing, and like he was out there. He was out there. So that was very encouraging to see that, you know, the expectation from us will be whatever time he gets in these preseason games and when they play Jacksonville, you know, in the first week of the season, he's going to be Odell Beckham Jr. And not just, you know, some guy that's trying to work his way back in. Yeah. Obviously, I want to see Barkley with my own eyes. Uh, I've never been to a Penn State game. Not, I don't think I'll ever care to go, but... Um... My my impression really is, as I'm watching him, trying to be critical of things, and really what I walk away from is that he just doesn't look like a rookie to me. Um, no. I mean, everything he does is very smooth. I mean, I'm sure there's things he can improve upon and whatever, but you know, I don't think he's dropped a single pass in any reports that I've read in since OTAs. Um, he looks so fluid and natural, running, setting up his blocks. He had a great play where uh, Manning faked a pass to his right while Barkley slipped up straight into the left. And so they set up a bubble screen to the left. And he was really patient in making sure all his blockers were out in front of him. He was able to spring outside for what probably would have been a touchdown in a real game. Um, yeah. It's shit like that you don't normally see from rookies at all. That's usually the rookie mistake is wanting to go at 1,000 miles an hour and not being patient. Yeah, I mean, we think we both made the comment smooth hands, mm -hmm. like catching the ball like he looked like a receiver. Just, you know, you can tell when a receiver has, you know, when he's trying to like bring the ball into his body as he's catching it or the hands are too far. It just looked very natural and very smooth with the hands, very soft hands. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's very encouraging. That that ability to catch out of the backfield with the, the moves he has and everything could be deadly for this offense. So deadly in a positive way for once. <laughs> so, very encouraging. Um, one of the other things I noticed, we've been to practice before. Of all the practices I've been to, I've never seen the defense really going after the quarterback quite like this. I mean, it's like every play. They're coming with disguised blitzes, sometimes five guys, sometimes six and it's coming from a different direction, a different position group, a different player every time. I 
I'm not sure if that's a testing out different plays, you know, to see what works for what guys. If it's testing out, you know, the the offensive line and really throwing everything at them. I'm not really sure what it is, but I, it's going to be a handful for any offense to have to deal with. Yeah, and let's keep this in mind too that you know they the first thing is the pressure they're putting on the quarterback. It's still red jerseys on the quarterback. They're not touching oh, the yeah, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So let, don't get the, the false impression that these guys are taking a beating during practice. They're not getting touched. Um, if they do, they're probably on the first plane out of um, in Newark if they do. But um, you're right. There's a lot of things that they need to look at with this team. I mean, how viable is this offensive line? I mean, we've heard a lot of reports. It's been pretty shaky so far during training camp and the, the defense is ahead of the offense. Um, Which is usually the case. Which is usually the case, but you know, if there are some legitimate concerns on the offensive line, and we've oh, seen yeah. this in the past couple of years where we see the same reports, and then we watch the first preseason game, and the second one, the third one, it's like there's nowhere to run. You know, the, the limited amount of time that Eli played, he had no time to throw, and all of a sudden that kind of seeps into week one and week two and week five and week 12 and week 16. So, you know, it's a good test right now to see where we are. And if the offensive line is still going to be an issue that allows them to game plan and scheme around those deficiencies and you know, maybe make roster moves that need to be made and maybe experiments like Eric flowers at right tackle, for example, you know, stop before they even really start and they, they kill your quarterback. So, so what percentage of this do you think is to get the offensive line to, gel together and be able to recognize stunts and things like that and what percentage is just the defense practicing i would say from betcher's standpoint it's 100 percent the defense and i would say from mike sula's standpoint and the offensive line coach everything 100 percent seeing how the offensive line handles it i think it's a i think both sides of the ball are treating this like this is our test to see what we can do i don't think it i don't think the coaching staff is slaying this in one way for another for an advantage to have, you know, the defense shine or the, you know, for the offensive liners. I think it's just, this is the type of defense we're going to run. These are the type of things we're going to do more, you know, ways they're trying to find ways to put more pressure on the quarterback than they've had in the last couple of years. It's up for this offensive line to stop it because they're going to see it against other defenses across the league, you know, whether it's in the, the division, the conference or, you know, interconference. The only other thing that I really noticed as I was trying to look at everything at once was uh, Davis Webb throws really well. Yeah, another thing we were in agreement with. I mean, it's hard to really put into words because it seems stupid, but I mean, every throw is, I mean, it's not perfectly accurate, but it's 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 really close. They're sharp throws. They're on a rope with a really tight spiral. I mean, I'm a big Eli Manning fan, but he's never been one who's thrown the perfect ball ever. Sometimes they're real fluttery ducks. Mm-hmm. It, it just looks like a very honed arm. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is a follow-up to what we were talking about last week when we were talking about the quarterbacks. Um, our expectation, like we started to see preseason games, and we even said maybe when we see the practice was, we wanted to see Davis Webb have a command of the offense, and I said I wanted to see Kyle Laletta look like someone who could be an NFL quarterback. And again, very tiny sample size today, obviously not against a a defense going 100% at them, even though there was increased pressure. Davis Webb looks the part of an NFL quarterback. He's big. He has a gun. He has a pretty throw. Like we said, Kyle Leonard to me looks like 
at best a backup. I mean, but he didn't look to me like a very big quarterback. He just didn't look, you know, you didn't see like a real cannon of an arm. It's just, I don't know. I just think that it was interesting the move to draft him. Somebody saw something that they liked. I, I don't see him just again, tiny sample size as someone that's going to compete with Davis Webb for eventually starting. And if that's not the case, I'm interested why they, you know, they burned a draft pick on him in the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to see now. Uh, like you said, he he doesn't look 6'3", 221 to me. He, he looks no. thin. Uh, I think that you can make an offense that works for him. I don't think you'd prefer to do that, but I think he has... I think he has the fighter in him. I think he. I think he can throw. You, it's just another thing. Like, I mean, you're talking like a Case Keenum type of guy. Yeah, like not a, the greatest physical tools in the world, but has that it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you'd be a fool to pay him a bunch of money like Denver or whoever did. But he he can succeed. You you've just got to work around the things that he's not perfect at, like the deep throw. I I think that again, he came out of Richmond, so he's not going to just be drafted in the fourth round and be a backup. I, it's going to take him one or two years to really be that guy that I'm describing, but I think that might be what they saw in him. But let me ask you this, though. I mean, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. For a team that was 3-13 and 13, and it had tons of roster holes, is this something of a luxury that they picked with a fourth-round pick? I mean, could they have gotten this guy next year or even the year after? It's it's certainly possible. I'm I'm not really sure of the wisdom of taking him when he was taken. I'm not sure who else was on the board. Uh, you know, and I, obviously we don't know the Giants' big board. So, right. Just looking at it from the the point of view that you're presenting, though, yeah, I think they could have. They, it was a luxury pick. It seems it, they could have gotten right. a guy like that next year. But, yeah. Okay. But, but but to close out this little segment, we both were very impressed with what we saw with Davis Webb, where, you know. Just the eye test, the smell test for what we saw. Like this guy could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, you know, with the, you know, he's being brought along the right way, you know, nice and slow. There's no reason to rush him in or anything. There's no quarterback competition. We are on the USS Eli right now. And if there's any icebergs ahead, we're all going down. <laughs> Air quotes here. Big news today is um, there was some Beckham contract talk. The Giants are valuing Beckham at a value, whatever it was, like $16 million a year, something less than Sammy Watkins. And Twitter world went berserk because how can you pay him less than Sammy Watkins? But really, when you say they're valuing him at that, that really just means that Sammy Watkins is overpaid. That's not what they're offering, and it's certainly not where they're going to end up. I mean, we know this. Yeah, I mean um, – there was really no yeah. reason to go nuts. And then later on, not even that much later, maybe like an hour later, Ian Rappaport from NFL Network reported that they're working on a deal to make him the highest paid wide receiver in the league. Yeah. I mean, that value thing is just, I don't know what that is. That's just copy for two days of, uh, you know, all the ESPN shows, the talking heads to, to have something to say, <laughs> very honestly. What, what everybody values something is not what the ultimate price will be. And you're right. Just because they value something at $16 million, you know, I don't know how these contract negotiations work. I don't know who offers. Did the Giants make the first offer and the, and the agents counter offer? Or, you know, I don't know. 
I've never been in the room. So, you know, the eye test again tells you that Beckham is worth more and is a better player than Sammy Watkins. Who gets paid the most at the end of the day? I mean, it's you know, who's the last person to sign? Yeah. Who's, you know, what is the cap situation with the team that they're on? What has to be done going forward? I mean, don't forget, we have to re-sign Landon Collins next year also. But that's something that if you're going to give Beckham, you know, an outrageous cap number, that may impact your ability to sign him at, and may have to rearrange your roster a little bit to make it happen. And they don't want to do that. So it is an ego thing with these guys who gets paid the most. And they're going to be pissed off in two years and they're no longer paid the most because the next guy will get a more inflated contract. The cap goes up every year. They can afford these things. But, you know, I think the bottom line is we both feel the same way that this deal will get done. We both personally don't care if he's the highest paid or not. The bottom line is get him done, get him in the fold, get him happy. And let's just, you know, let's get to work. Yeah, and it seems to be going right along to the timeline we presented where we think it'll be done before the, the regular season starts. Yeah, we're not doctors, but what we saw again from our naked eyes is he looked like a guy that was making all the cuts, doing all the plays, everything has to get done. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I would have never get – if you told me that one guy on the field had shredded his ankle – and was coming back, and I had to figure out who it was. It wouldn't have even been on my radar. No, no, no. We're going to jump into our O-line depth chart here, um, and it's sort of a mess. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to Giant Football, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. The, the, this is probably one of the three weakest spots on the team. Um, we knew this, but, I mean, we'll go through it, but I, I would say weak as it may be, it's certainly leaps and bounds better than it was last year. Yeah. It's the first time we've actually in the last couple of years have addressed the situation. In my opinion, it was a bold move on Gettleman's part to just, you know, at this time last year, we were worried about how were we going to resign both Richburg and Pew and to just wave the hand and be like, go, go find your deals elsewhere and figure out this mess, even without the two guys who were among the stronger guys, that was that was a bold move. It was a bold move. They just, you know, I think they saw the risk at these guys getting nicked up quite a bit, mm-hmm. and they just said, we're going to start over. So at, at center, we're a little bit surprised. You know, the, the depth chart released with John Jalapio as the starter, Brett Jones as his backup, and Evan Brown as the third string. I think Jalapio and Jones are both making this roster. I'm not so 100% that Jalapio is the starter against the Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, this might be a situation where you see these guys shuttling in and out a lot. You know, I, I think that the skill sets are very similar. I think, you know, um, Jones has more experience, but not so. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to call this one. I mean, I think if... Uh, we had the same coaching staff of last year. I think Jones would have a better chance. I think with a clean slate, I think Calapio got a chance to kind of gets a chance to prove himself a little more. I think that Jones' background from the CFL with the the extra space between the offensive and defensive lines has put him at a disadvantage in the run game, where John Jalapio might have a leg up on him. And given this administration's you know more value placed on the run and play action. Mm-hmm. is going to automatically give Jalapio the favor to start. 
Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, I, I mean, it's just going to come down. If, if Brett Jones can hold his own and be a better pass blocker, he may just jump up the depth chart. And I will, I will say this too, that you can't – Rome wasn't built in one day. I have oh, a feeling yeah. this time next year I think there will be a different starting center. Yes, whether I agree gonna with go, that. Whether they're going to draft for it or they're going to go free agent for it, I think it's definitely one of the – and we can post it for you know talking about it when we get into next April and May and stuff that this is going to be a, a big – need to address i think a lot of the heavy lifting was done this year um but i think i definitely think your starting center in 2019 not be one of these two guys and i have some breaking news right now grump go for it if you have tbs odell beckham jr is on that silly rap show where you rap off against another celebrity he is rapping off against sean mendez i have the sound i have the sound off if uh my tv explodes i will give you an update so Wow, that is just depressing. <laughs> the starting center is for for 2019 is not on the roster. Uh, I don't think it's either one of these guys. One or both of them might be retained as backup, given both of their versatility to play guard. Also, the point of being is with these guys on pretty much one year deals is they are not committed long term to either one of these guys. So it's almost kind of like a show me year to for a roster spot going forward after this year. But I think. Unless one of them just completely wows the coaching staff and is, does a fantastic job. I, again, I don't think in 2019 either one of these guys will be the starter. Uh, moving over to guard, we had our rookie second-round pick, Will Hernandez, from UTEP, I think, right? Um, Texas El Paso, yes. Yeah, and Patrick Omame at right guard. Um, we saw John Jerry in at right guard at the second team. He also shuffled over to right tackle at times. I'm not sure if that was with the third team or what. Um, we saw John Greco go in there, and then there's three other guys that are definitely not making the team. Their names are Nick Gates, Chris Scott, and Zach Karen. This is not necessarily a position of strength either. <laughs> yeah, I guess my question for you is, do you have any concern at all that we see, you know, we use free agent money on Omawi and he's being moved right to the right side? with any concerns with you with that happening? And well, what if and what if Fernandez is a, uh, you know, he bombs in the beginning at left guard? Do you see like some shuffling moving around, or they they are committed for him to be the left guard going forward through hell or high water? Well, we haven't we haven't heard too much about Hernandez being beaten. Um, he seems to have been holding his own in pass protection. He's pretty pretty good in the run game. Uh, Omame is an interesting choice. Uh, so. Um, he was originally a right guard before switching over to left guard, so I didn't have a huge problem with him shuffling over. I guess my biggest concern is, and, and I understand that we need something other than John Jerry at right guard, just period, mm-hmm. end of story. Um, right. We are now talking about signing the guy that Jacksonville signed the best guard in the in the league to replace. He was definitely the weakest link on Jacksonville's offensive line. They were going to sign somebody to take that spot. They wanted the best guard in the league. And you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to get excited about the the worst one of the five and expect him to just, you know, be an upgrade. He might be an upgrade over what we had, but my concern is that they had a very they, solid they had a very solid offensive line last year and you're comparing to the other four you know if the bar is at a level where the fifth guy is still better than our best guy last year that's an upgrade 
And also, we didn't break the bank on him either. No, you're right. Everything you're saying is right. It's just I fear that Giants fans are viewing this as a staple when it's really just a Band-Aid. Um, this is a position that may not need to be addressed next offseason, but it's definitely not what I would consider a long-term solution at right guard. Yeah, I, I look at it as somewhere in the middle. I think it was, you know, I know for the last couple of years, we, you know, we're at Giant Stadium, and you can lean over to me and say, right guard is the biggest problem on this team. Yeah. You said it quite a bit. I, I've, know, been, and, I've been slamming my fist since Chris Knee got hurt. Yeah. So, and as bad as it, the sieve that's been the last couple of years, it is definitely an improvement. Yes. Um, again, we, but we did buy a guy for a different position. Breaking news, Beckham won his drop the mic challenge. No way. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how this show works, if he goes on to the next round or not, but I didn't hear any of it, but. It won. was fire. Um, <laughs> John Jerry, I think, is a, a luxury backup. Um, he's a really easy target to complain about, but for a guy to be on the bench, you don't have to worry about him too much, but can come in. And he was one of the better pass blockers in the league last year, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and he does have the ability to play right tackle. So he offers flexibility. I know this organization was also very high on John Greco. Um, so here's another guy who has backup potential. Um, I think can also play center in a pinch. I mean, some guys are better if they play 15 snaps or they play every two weeks than being starters. Yeah, that's why guys are starters, and that guy. That's why some guys just last in the league for 15 years and have played a fraction of the downs that a starter would, because they have a, a niche of going in and giving you high energy and doing what they need to do to before you know the tendencies and you you know you game plan around the against these guys. So, and I also think from the fan perspective, I don't think that right guard is going to be their biggest focus and where the scapegoat's going to be. I think if this offensive line is not going to play well, it's going to always go back to rightly or wrongly. This is on Eric flowers. Yes. And that's, that's it. I mean, who the center is going to be may not be as big of a deal. It's going to be Eric flowers still sucks. Get rid of him. You know, is Hernandez doing the job as a rookie? Why do we pay so much for Nate Solder? Those type of things. So I think that's a position where I think it's going to kind of evade a little bit of the scorn of the fan, which is probably a good thing. And also, and one other thing too. I, I have to compliment you. That, that was a marked improvement in your uh, segue skills. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. I was, I was also going to say... <laughs> Before sorry, I was sorry. rudely applauded and celebrated, <laughs> that we, as we said in past episodes, we think that the coaching staff will do more things to help this offensive line too. We expect to see more chipping from the tight ends. We expect to see more help from the running backs. You know, we might see a fullback or two maybe in, in some formations. Um, so, all of these things should improve the overall play of the offensive line. Yeah, no. Gone are the days where Philadelphia can just line up a plethora of defensive ends over Eric Flowers and have a one-on-one -on -one matchup every time. That this team is not going to let that happen. And and you know we can argue about whether or not the twelfth pick in the draft should be able to. It doesn't matter. He can't. 
What are you going to do about it? You're just going to lose? So, yeah. Uh, and it's also, it's not their 12th pick in the draft anymore. That's very They true. inherited it. Um, what, do we, what do we reasonably expect with Nate Solder? What's a regional expectation? I mean, he's, is he going to be the savior? Is he Joe Thomas? Or is he just some guy that's going to hold down the fort and be someone you just kind of forget about? He's going to be the best lap tackle we've seen in a while for this team. But just keep in mind that that includes Eric Flowers, Will Beatty, and Dave Deal, none of which were really more than average left tackles. I think that we may not see it game to game critically because he might be part of an offensive line that overall is still not that good. We may forget that he's doing a good job on his side. Um, I think that's a reasonable expectation that he'll be a, an above-average left tackle. I don't think he's, he's certainly not going to be Joe Thomas from my perspective, no. And that's fine. I mean, yeah. I don't think that's – I just want to make sure that everybody who's listening to this has a reasonable expectation of what they're – you know, now that they see that we, we got Solder, we got um, Omame, oh, yeah, and all of a sudden that they're expecting this offensive line from being like the 29th best in the league to the third best. And let's set reasonable expectations of what we are going to see. Yeah, and I, I think the left side at the tackle position is not going to be a huge issue. He's going to let up some pressures from you know time to time, and that's fine. I mean, there are great pass rushers in this league, and they're going to win some battles. It's just how it works. Yeah, um, exactly. That being said, you know we have Nate Solder and Eric Flowers are solidified in their tackle spots. End of story. Uh, there is. There is no better right tackle on this roster than Eric Flowers, for better or for yeah. worse. And Chad let's stop Wheeler with, is yeah. is is a left tackle first of all, and second of all is really not that good. We're we're talking about an undrafted free agent. One game, his first game, he came and he played okay. Yeah, but then he struggled badly after that. Very badly. I mean, I'm gonna say that Chad Wheeler is probably staying on this roster. The three other guys, Nick Becton, Victor Salako, and uh, Malcolm Bunch, I don't see them sticking. I think that the true backup tackle is not on the roster yet and will come after cutdown. Yes, and again, as we mentioned last week and we'll probably mention next week and the week after, there is only what one cutdown in mm-hmm. the NFL going forward. This started last year. There is no cutdown after the second game. It's only after the fourth game when it becomes a Wild West and a free-for-all. <laughs> And yes. no, it's it's true. I mean, yeah. it's 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 probably the craziest day that you know scouts and the GM has to deal with. Is that it'd be a fascinating thirty for thirty to watch if they could create like a documentary, a true one of you know what it's like from cutdown day on. Maybe yeah. they did a hard an episode of Hard Knocks or something. Yeah, or Jerry Maguire. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Or maybe the sequel of Draft Day. Oh, See how stop uh, it. Cut down day. I, I it's still been it's been a couple of years since I've seen that movie. I'm proud of myself. I know you watch it like every year. You know, you know when I watch it, and we're getting at a complete tangent here. On a plane. Yeah, it's a good, I'm serious. It's a good plane movie. It'll keep I your attention. Pers- I'm not a person who. I have a very short attention span on planes. I can't watch new movies because my mind wanders. I want to watch the same four movies over and over again. I will watch Caddyshack on a plane. I will watch Draft Day. I will watch The Big Short. 
So that's going to wrap up our O-line review. Let's talk expectation and like to kind of button this up with the okay. offensive line. What is a what is a best case and a worst case scenario for you for the offensive line as a whole? The worst, worst case, case scenario is that it's the same as last, last year. year. It's last I mean, year. It, it doesn't get much worse than that. And the only way I can really see the worst case scenario happening is if the injury bug nails us again. Because, you know, something, if Solar goes down. We're in deep shit. We are in deep shit because guess what? Who is, you know. I mean, what do you do? Do you put tackle. Flowers back there? you put Wheeler in? Who the hell knows? I mean. I think I think Flowers moves over and Wheeler plays right side. And you're in the exact same scenario you were now, in last year. Now you've downgraded it two spots. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a catch-22. You, you're fucked anyway. So That's that's to your point of the backup right tackles not on this roster yet. I certainly think that's the case. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if the right cutdown happens and we see crazy shit when when cutdown happens, the backup left tackle may not be on this roster. It's, it's you know, it's certainly plausible that a viable left tackle backup gets cut. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. the the best case scenario is that we don't have to worry about this. That that they're able to run the ball. I think that if they're able to run the ball, I'm not I'm not too worried about pass protection too much. If they're able to run the ball and control the clock and control the game, that's the best case scenario. Yeah. I mean, we were so one-dimensional last year. And then even that one dimension was screwed with all the injuries that we were just this completely impotent you know, unit. Yeah. I mean, really, but you know, you're right. If we can establish a running game, you know, it changes everything. It it changes, you know, you have to you have to fear it. you have to respect it. you don't have your safeties creeping up on every play and you know all these different things so having tools having an upgrade in the offensive line in addition to having a potential franchise running back who can run the ball catch the ball in the backfield block i mean all these pieces are all interconnected and that's what can make this better so i mean let's look and see you know, after week seven or week eight, time of possession, is that better than it was? What is our average third and – is it third and four or is it third and eight like it's been? Little things like that, you can tell this offensive line has been better. And again, like I just said, it does kind of tie into having a franchise running back. It ties into having healthy receivers and all these different things. And, but And the, a scheme. And a scheme. Exactly, a scheme. We didn't have any scheme. We had we had the plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that that I think sums up our offensive line in its current state. The prospects look better for 2018 than they did for 2017 or 16. So next week we're going to do some skill position stuff. That's a lot more fun, right? Tight ends and wide receivers. We're going to go through that depth and continue the ongoing news of training camp and Beckham's contract. And we'll also have a game to talk about. That's true. We'll have some recap from Thursday's game in which I will be in attendance. Grump will be at the game on Thursday night. I will be watching from the comfort of my man cave here. So uh, we'll have different perspectives, the being there perspective versus the, um, you know, the TV TV view. So, yeah, enjoy enjoy the obnoxious broadcast that comes with preseason football. Yeah, we're we are not going to do Friday recap shows. Um, we're going to no. stick to our one show week schedule until the season starts. We will have a Tuesday morning, Friday morning schedule. But for right now, we're just going to do on our weekly show. We'll probably take ten, fifteen minutes to talk about trends that we saw. We're not going to go through a game, 
a play-by-play, snap-by-snap recap of things, more just Hell no. things, things we saw that we liked, things we saw that need improvement, you know, overreactions galore. So that's what's coming up next week. Um, be sure to follow me on Twitter in the meantime, at football underscore grump, and follow the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, Just Giants. It's also bumped on Twitter under the handle at Just Giants Pod. You can catch me as always at the football. No, that's you. <laughs> you. You cannot follow me at the football grump. You can follow me at the cranky fan, um, along with this podcast, my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan. We discuss all things Florida football because we just started fall camp for them as well. So I'm starting double duty coverage of both. Um, please be sure and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave a five-star review and a nice rating or a nice five-star rating and a good review, whatever you prefer, however dyslexic you are. The more people we hear from, the more Giant fans we can reach. talk to. Yeah. Reach, yes. Yeah, it's the, it's the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, go Giants. Go Giants.